So you you do the first night and it's super easy. You just kind of float around. It's like the easiest crit in the world to complete and like the hardest crit to win. But it's like a perfect opener. <laughs> you you get in and you race at night. It's Blue Dome crit is at like um you know like eight p.m. So it's nice and cool. Yeah. Uh, have you done it before, Drew? Last year was first year. Yeah. Yeah. So last year, the thing that I don't remember happening is the fireworks that tend to go. Were we delayed? Maybe. Don't remember. <laughs> so that's like a classic um, blue like dome. Actual fireworks or like dudes sending flyers? Both. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to episode 15 of the Matchbox Podcast presented by Ignition Coach Co. I'm your host, Adam Saban, and with me in the studio today is the usual crew. We've got Andrew Jeanette, Dylan Johnson, and Drew Dillman. This week, we're doing a bit of a deep dive, well, I'd say brief dive, into the topic of pacing for different rider types and events. Dylan is fresh off his top 25 finish at Unbound last weekend, where he employed a bit of an unusual pacing approach this year. So stay tuned to hear more about his unique pacing strategy and our takes on pacing in general. As usual, if you like what you hear, share this with your friends and leave us a five-star review. If you want us to cover a specific training-related topic in a future episode, drop us an email at info at ignitioncoachco.com with email title The Matchbox Podcast, or find us on Instagram and send us a DM. All right, let's get into it. All right, top of the morning, fellas. How are we doing today? Good. Excellent. Well, well. <laughs> this is an early one. We don't usually record bright and early, but um, yeah. Got to, got to fit it in while people are going places. Better than recording at 8.30 at night like uh, somebody else wanted to. Dude, I don't know. Late night potting, like, there's a reason why there's all these late night TV shows because that's when the wild side comes out. But <laughs> if you if we record at 8.30, you're, gonna, you're, you're not going to get my best is what I'll say. <laughs> Dude, that's when I come up with all my best ideas is, like, in the middle of the night. And then I wake up and I'm like, that was such a dumb idea. <laughs> That's usually what happens. Mm. But at least you get to drink coffee in the morning. That's what one thing about early morning podcasts is coffee. Yeah, there you go. Have you ever solved any of your problems when you're sleeping? What? Don't you solve all your problems? Isn't like every night when you go to sleep, isn't there like a whole SpongeBob episode where <laughs> your your brain is like filing away all of your memories for the day and all that? Like that's when your brain organizes itself. I don't know. I've yeah. I've literally dreamt solutions to like problems that I was working on in the real world and then like woke up and implemented them and they worked. Dang, SpongeBob's going to town in your brain. Yeah. At night at night. <laughs> All right. Oh, okay. Well, uh, let's get into this. So, we've got a little bit of racing to talk about here. Um a couple of these guys went to some big races this weekend. Uh, and then we're going to get into a topic of race pacing. How do you pace yourself? depending on what race you're doing, uh, what the duration is, um, kind of what your training and fitness level's at. Uh, so let's start with you, Drew. We know you went to a big crit this last weekend. Where'd you go? That was two weeks ago. What? Well, tell yeah. us about it anyway. I already oh, talked, about it last, <laughs> Sorry. talked about it last week. Oh, you're talking oh. to the wrong Drew. I, yeah. It was Andrew. I, I was talking to the wrong Drew. It was Andrew who went to Air Force. <laughs> Sorry. It was me. Armed, armed Forces, Air there. Force. <laughs> you know, I don't know All if right, I ever Andrew, found we'll start out. With you then, man. I, I don't, I don't know what to call it. Yeah, armed forces, air force, something like that. Uh, yeah. Well, for me, it was like the first, you know, like really national level crit that I've done this year. Um, because 
Rochester would have been that. Well, Rochester was canceled. <laughs> and plus, th- this race... It wasn't canceled. It was just cut short. Well, yeah. So we did three laps. Yeah, and but that wasn't last. quite enough to quench Yeah, I got theirs. last place. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, I would argue, though, that this was like even even bigger. So... Um, I think it. I think it was completely sold out. It was like 140 to 150 guys. I mean, it was it was just insane. I mean, you know, basically every crit racer you've ever heard of, plus another hundred who you've never heard of before. <laughs> um, yeah, and it was um, it was really good racing. It, it was um, you know, in previous years it was super super hot there, which just kind of shredded shredded the field because people were just falling apart. Um, and also in previous years, Legion would just, Legion was on a tear and they would just control the race from start to finish. They wouldn't let anything go, or at least that was their intention last year. They, they actually weren't successful in it. <laughs> they sort of dropped the ball last year, but, um, that was sort of the expectation. And, and so that, that definitely made the racing a little bit less exciting because, you know, sort of like the UHC days where, you know, most of the teams are thinking like, oh, well. You know, nothing's going to get away because Legion's just going to hunt us down. Um, but yeah, this year we had. Who they have uh, there? Who Legion? did Legion have there? Um, they had. Yeah, did they Justin. have like their, their A squad? Yeah, they had Justin, oh, okay. Corey, Alec, um, Sam, um, the track guy, Gaver, Gavin Hoover, Hoover Gavin. Um, <laughs> Wait, he's on their team? Yeah. Dang. Dang. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they, they they came they came ready. Um, so no Tyler Jeff, Tyler Williams. Oh yeah, and Tyler Williams. He's pretty strong, isn't he? He was. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, so that was like their strong. A squad. I mean. Oh yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, they were there to win. And, Dang. Um, oh, and they also had Ty Magner, who did like win one of the days. Yeah. Yeah, he won the first day. Okay. Yeah, he won the first day, and he actually he crashed the second day. Um, Mm. Some dude's tire just exploded with, you know, two corners to go on that second day. So the second day is, um, you know, as as some of you guys might know, like 100K. So it's the race is, it took us two hours and 20 minutes. There's like nobody left. You know, it's like a group of, I don't know, 30 dudes. You know, I'm sitting maybe, I'm a little bit too far back. I'm struggling a bit. I'm like 20th wheel, maybe 15th wheel. And, you know, whatever, 20, 30 feet in front of me, I just hear boom. And uh, Ty, my teammate Sean, uh, you know, a couple of other riders, you know, that are kind of like fighting for the back of the best buddies train just hit the ground. And so I had to kind of skirt through, make it up to Frank. Didn't really get a sprint in, but um, Hmm. Yeah, it, it, it was. Did you get it was top pretty, ten out of it. Uh, there was, at that point, basically all of wildlife was up the road, so I got fourteenth, mm. which which the Plus. team was not happy with. It, that that wasn't good enough. Um, mm. <laughs> but, but you know, it was it was a. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, first first big crit back. It was it was really interesting, actually, from like a a training perspective, which is what we're here to talk about. Um, there was never ever a time where I was really struggling. Like I was never going to get dropped on either of these races, and they weren't they weren't easy. Um, but I also like couldn't really do anything very <laughs> useful. So like I couldn't attack. 
I, I, I almost like couldn't even like position as well as I wanted to. And I think I was just missing like that last little bit of top end. Um, and I had a, I had a rust week last week. So, um, you know, going into the race, so I think that that maybe had me a little bit closed off. Um, but this weekend is Tulsa, you know, the biggest Kurt weekend in global, global cycling. <laughs> um, and so, you know, this week I've, I've ridden a bit more and, you know, kept a little bit sharper. So I'm, I'm hoping that, uh, that'll, that'll be the thing that like puts me over that edge, you know, and has me both like fit, sharp, ready to go. Sick. That's awesome, man. Are you doing, uh, is it four days at Tulsa, right? Or three? It's three. Yeah. Yep. So I'm doing all three. three, So I leave later today. today. Yep. Yep. So it should be good. Today's Thursday. And it's Tulsa's, Tulsa's awesome because the days get progressively harder. So you, you do the first night and it's super easy. You just kind of float around. Um, it's like the easiest crit in the world to complete and like the hardest crit to win, but it's like a perfect opener. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like not, you know, you, you get in and um, you race at night. It's Blue Dome Crit is at like, um, you know, like 8 p.m. So it's nice and cool. Yeah. Uh, have you done it before, Drew? Last year was first year, yeah. Yeah. So last year, the thing that I don't remember happening is the fireworks that tend to go. Were we delayed maybe? Don't remember. <laughs> so that's like a classic... Um, blue like dome actual fireworks or like dude actual, sending flyers both <laughs> so, <laughs> so so typically in the past and this is like you know like a fun kind of like learning experience that everybody gets at tulsa it, you know if you're sort of uninitiated is at 10 to go they just start launching fireworks and you're like wow what's happening <laughs> what is that <laughs> You're looking around and you crash. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't remember that last year. Last Fireworks year, are, Tulsa are was now. <laughs> Tulsa was kind of the first big crit after COVID, um, like first big national crit where everybody was there. And so the Blue Dome crit was literally like the first crit after COVID, and it was kind of um, ironic that I caught two crashes on on film on my GoPro before the first turn. And the first turn is only like a hundred yards from the start line. So it's like, yeah, boom. Like one guy missed his pedal and straight up just OTB. And then another guy, I don't even know what happened, but he was on the ground before the turn as well. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Is this going to be what it is like for the next 90 minutes? Like, so, so I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to bring up one last little thing about last weekend. And then this applies to this weekend as well. Drew is, uh, Tom, Tom Gibbons and automatic have been doing this thing where, Mm. and they did this at Rochester. I think they went, they go to the front of the crit right away. And then they just kind of yank it for like five laps. And it's like real, the first five laps are like almost the fastest. And what happens is, is that people who like aren't warmed up or, you know, are maybe going to struggle with the pace a bit anyway, are like on there. They're like, I'm on my limit. (laughs) And then they just fall down. (laughs) So I I would, I would have your GoPro lens cleaned and ready to go because (laughs) if you line up at the back, um, people might just fall down the plan right away. (laughs) So, so start at the back with my GoPro ready to get some action. Yeah. 
I'm yeah. not there. I'm not there to win. I'm just there to get all the crashes on video. Somebody's got to do it. <laughs> the old follow cam. Yeah, right. That's, that's like you know, it, if you're good at moving through the field, you know that actually might not be a bad crit to just like kind of sit on the back for. You know, and just kind of chill out. Yeah, I wasn't keep that close. Down. I wasn't that close to the front for pretty much the whole race last year. I mean, I feel like last year was really fast too, though. It was. And I probably was, first of all, I was probably not as in shape as I was this year because I had had a baby a week before. So I don't think I rode for a whole week. And then I went to Tulsa on like a last second whim. And then um, I didn't have a baby, but my wife had a baby. (laughs) Y'all know what I meant. Um, And then, but this year I also feel like I'm going into it with a little bit of confidence after having won two out of the four last crits I've done. So what you said about the days getting progressively hard is like, oh, that's like what I'm looking the most forward to is like oh, Sunday. Yeah. I'm like pumped. That's such a good one for you, Drew. It's going to be, it's actually a lot like Snake Alley, right? Like you do the hill, big effort, and then it kind of mm-hmm. rolls up top, right? It's like, it's not downhill yeah. right away. So you can kind of stay on. I mean, it's a little yeah. bit, it's a little bit more like you do a little bit of a dip, but. Yeah. Yeah, last year actually, my stretch. highest heart rate, my heart highest heart rate every lap was actually on the start finish stretch, the only flat part of the course, and I think it was probably because uh, I wasn't taking that turn as good, and so the gaps were opening, and I'd have to bridge the gap, and yeah, well, you can't yeah, do and that. If you're, that just like burns your burns your matches so fast. That 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 final corner is like one of the worst accordion effects, you know, because the field is so big. So if you're oh, let's yeah. say fifty wheels back. You know, and you come out of mm-hmm. that corner and the guy going around first is going 30, 35 to the start finish and you're coming through at 20, you know. Oh, yeah. You're doing that 10 mile an hour acceleration. Yeah. But you got all those watts happened. per kilo. <laughs> so, like, you're going to you're gonna ramp up to speed real quick. Yeah. I'm pretty, um, I'm just stoked about it. I can't wait. It's, it's exciting, too, to hear that Legion isn't as dominant because, like, I haven't really raced the full Legion squad, so there was part of me that was really nervous. But if Best Buddies is still like the team to watch, I've already raced them like a handful of times this year, so that's not as I don't know. That's not as like intimidating because I'm like, oh, okay, well, well, I can hang with the Best Buddies guys for the most part. Uh, Best Buddies is team number two to watch, team number one to watch, Public Enemy number one, yes, well. Wildlife Generation. Those guys are, are they're, they're not going to be there, are they? Uh, I don't know, but if they are, actually, they I just know Scott's not, Scott's gonna be not going. Scott was ripping. Yeah. Johnny Clark r- ripping. Tanner, like all those dudes, they just rode away. <laughs> they're so okay. good. They, yeah, I they think, were. I think they're the gearing up five. for Nats. Wow. Yeah, they might just win. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm all pumped. Right. I can't wait. Well, let's uh, let's let's move on to to Dylan here. Uh. Dylan's got some stories or some info to share from Unbound this weekend. <clears throat> and Dylan, save your save your crazy pacing strategy kind of towards the end of your recap because that's going to parlay us right into our topic for the day. Yeah, well, how much do we want to recap? I mean, I want to spend the whole whole podcast talking about Unbound. Felt like we yeah. did that on the last podcast. Yeah, just give us like five <laughs> minutes of you know how it went, how you felt, what you would maybe do differently. Yeah, well, I mean, I think if I if I'm gonna start talking about that, I could start talking about the pacing strategy right away because that was basically <laughs> that was basically the whole whole race recap right there. 
Well, so um, what place? What place were you? Twenty fifth. What was your time? Nine fifty eight forty three. Did you run arrow bars? Of course. All right. Is that, is that even a question? All right. Re- recaps, <laughs> recaps done. All right. Let's go to pacing. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I feel like I've talked about this pacing strategy a lot already, but, um, so basically it it was pretty unconventional. I just ignored what the front group was doing and rode at a pace, basically last year's average speed, um, for the first and the second half. Of course, last year's average speed was nowhere close to this year's winning average speed, uh, which I guess I didn't anticipate. I think the biggest reason for that was that it was cool. The temperatures were quite a bit lower, so people didn't die in the second half like they usually do. Um, and I think that was a little bit of a miscalculation on my part because I I guess looking at past results, I kind of assumed that people were slowing down so much in the second half because they went too hard in the first half, which I think is definitely part of it, but I a bigger reason why that is now after seeing the results this year is I think it just gets hotter in the second half. Like the first half isn't that hot. Mm. The race starts at six in the morning and then the second half is, is really hot and people slow down a lot in the heat. Um, you know, on paper it shouldn't, it shouldn't have been a super fast race. I mean, it was muddy. Like anytime it's muddy times aren't super fast, but, but just because it was so cool, I think that was that was the reason why times were fast. Um, so I'm kind yeah, of scratching with the with the mud. It almost seemed like the top, you know, maybe 50 guys or so who finished in like 10 and a half hours or less. It seemed mm-hmm. like you guys didn't get as bad of the mud effect because it was still wet when you were riding through it. Versus later, like after 10 and a half hours, like there were some people, like it was getting like soupy or like super peanut buttery and like stick into everything. But it didn't seem like you guys were having yeah. too much mud stick into the bikes. Uh, I wouldn't say that. I mean, we had plenty of mud sticking to the bikes. Oh, you, you did? Can okay. Look at the, you can look at the pictures from post-race. I mean, ev- every single one of the top guys is like literally it looks like they jumped in a mud pedal. Hmm. Um, but it, I'm I'm sure for, for riders further back, it was worse, right? Because... Uh, riding in the rain itself isn't that bad, but once it's rained and then it stops raining and then the mud turns to peanut butter, that's almost worse. Right. So they had to do more riding in that kind, those kinds of conditions. Sure. Um, not that we didn't have to do any riding in those kinds of conditions. We definitely did. Okay. So, so going back to your pacing strategy. So one of the things that you did in your training leading up to, uh, unbound was you spent like a month or so in texas riding in like the mm-hmm. heat of the day to try and heat acclimate do you feel yeah. like your pacing strategy would have like you could have held that same pacing strategy if it was hot uh no probably not i mean i was i was ready for the heat but the heat i mean the heat takes a lot out of you and when it's super mm-hmm. hot even if you're heat acclimated your power is going to be low lower so i think had it been normal condi- normal unbound conditions uh i don't know i probably wouldn't have been able to hold 20 mile per hour average i probably would have faded a little bit in the second half the hope would just be that i would have not faded as much as everyone else okay so so if we get into this pacing strategy a bit more wh- when did you decide to, to 
you know, when did you come up with this idea to, to pace super evenly throughout the whole race? Yeah, it's it's actually something that I've been thinking about doing for a while. But at BWR San Diego, I got burnt in the first half of the race, just burning a ton of matches. And in the second half, I was useless. And that wasn't a hot race. I just I just rode a bad race. Um, partly was positioning, but partly I just, you know, the 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 pace at the first the first half of the race was too hard. Um, Gravel Locos was similar. Gravel Locos, it's like it's like we were either chilling at 200 watts or we were at 450 for some reason. And I was just thinking to myself, if this happens at Unbound, um, this is not the kind of riding that I prefer to do or that probably suits my physiology. I would prefer to do, do a nice steady pace the whole time. And also, it's not the fastest way from point A to point B. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you were to ride Unbound as a time trial, spiking it at 450 up every climb and then coasting on every descent is not the fastest way to get from the start to the finish. So, um, the ar- and then, you know, the counter argument is obviously that there's a huge drafting benefit from being with the front group. So I recruited five riders to do this with me. Um, I would say that f- four of those five were pretty useless. One was, one was super helpful, stayed with me till mile one thirty. but I kept catching riders that were having flats and dropped off the front group mm-hmm. and some of them were very strong. So it's not like I was alone doing this. In fact, the only part of the day that I was alone was the last 20 minutes. So, well, there's like kind of a technical I just, advantage to this as well, because, I think, I don't know, I haven't done as much gravel racing as you, Dylan, but one thing I would kind of think is that if you're in a big group of 12 guys, you know, and you're, let's say, at the back of the group at any given moment, like the chance that you take a bad line and hit a rock you don't see is is pretty high, right? Like versus if you're just alone and you're kind of navigating, you know, the nuances of the terrain. Yeah, that was was also an upside of doing it. Um, So while I I did... And while I did keep the same average speed for the first half and the second half, there was a slight tailwind in the second half, and my power was still lower in the second half. So I'm I'm kind of, you know, 25th place, I'm kind of scratching my head. I was like, I was like would I have been better off doing the normal strategy or not? There's really no way to know because I can't go back and do the race, right? So, um oh. Let's yeah. let's uh let's unpack this. Let's like let's get into this topic and then well, I'm, I'm a, we can kind of see if you know because there's a lot to unpack here. Like we've mentioned a lot of things, like um you know the tactical side of it, you know the the weather side of it, the you know the wind. Mm-hmm. Like there's so much here that I think we should kind of get into in detail, and then maybe at the very end of the podcast we can we can sort of like apply some of the thinking that we've discussed to to whether or not that was appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. I mean, Andrew, what are you thinking about this, this pacing strategy for unbound? Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, you said a couple of things that, that really stand out to me as, um, being super relevant. So the first is, you know, if it's going to be cool in the morning, I think the way that I would approach it is, is maybe going a little bit harder while it's cool. Um, because rather than saying like, I'm going to pace it, um, evenly in terms of speed, maybe the way that I would have approached it is like pace it evenly in terms of effort. 
right? And so, mm-hmm. you know, maybe keeping it at like a like a certain heart rate for the entire day or like a certain RPE for the entire day might might work well for me. I think it depends on like how much you expect your performance to degrade, you know, over the course of the race. Um, mm-hmm. But for me, you know, you and I have very different physiology. So I think for you, this, this makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think keeping it, plowing strategies to keeping it a little bit more even makes a lot of sense. Um, but for me, you know, you, you talked about how, um, you know, at BWR San Diego, it was 450, then 200, 450, then 200. Th- that suits me better because, you know, for a rider that's maybe like a little bit more glycolytic in nature, um, you know, that 450 watt effort maybe has like a lower relative cost for me. So that actually sounds pretty nice. Um, you know, and it'd be, it'd be interesting to see, this isn't maybe like the best comparison, but, um, you know, like if, if you were to go out and do like 40 twenties, you know, at like, you know, VO two and then tempo or something like that, you know, I almost think that I would (laughs) get further down the road, you know, I would get from point A to point B quicker than, you know, than if, uh, you know, you're just riding there at 320, you know, and that's, yeah. again, you know, it's maybe not sustainable for everybody or, or for anyone for an entire race to, to do this, like, Tabata style mm-hmm. effort for like the whole race. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think you have to play to your strengths and I think you tried something and I think, you know, if I were your coach, what I would say is like, Hey, like next time we do this, let's let's like modify this approach a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. and oftentimes like, you know, what I've told some of my athletes in like really long, like grand Fondo style events is like, okay, what we're going to do is, is we're going to sit on the lead group and we're going to just, we're not going to follow attacks. We're just going to kind of sit in that Peloton and, and, you know, keep it as chill as we can. Um, and we're never going to go beyond like a certain threshold. So, like, if that group mm-hmm. forces you to go into the red, you know, just back off and just ride your pace. And if you can ride back onto it, do it. If you can't, then, yeah. you know. And, and, you know, some of this comes from my experience, like, racing crits and road races where, you know, um, you know, in a crit sometimes, like, the group is going to speed up to, you know, chase and move back or, or, like, follow attacks. And sometimes if you let yourself drift back, you know, and you keep your pace pretty even. And then, you know, when they all sit up because they've caught the, the group or whatever it is, you can kind of just like keep pedaling at that pace and just ride, <laughs> ride right mm-hmm. back up to the front, you know? So, yeah. um, I, I would take a modified, even pacing approach. Mm-hmm. Maybe like yeah. a hybrid of what I did versus what people typically do. Yeah. So, like, in another example is, you know, in cyclocross, you know, it's like you kind of you, you want to get swept away with that front group. At least mm-hmm. that's that's the perspective of kind of like a middler, like somebody who's not going to be on the front of the race leading the pace. What did you, you just know, say? A middler? A middler, yeah. What's a middler? You some, Am I a middler? No, nah, you're a subtopper. No. <laughs> I'm a subtopper. <laughs> um okay good this is good but anyway the point is is like there's a guy alex ryan who races out of the southeast and super fast guy you know he's definitely not like a dude who's gonna stay in the front group with the top top guys during the race but he'll go out with that group 
Um, and he'll get swept away and he'll get like a minute on the rest of us who are kind of like, you know, in our own little group. Um, you know, he's sitting up at the back of that group trying to stay efficient and just kind of like floating, closing gaps through the corners. Um, and, you know, he's playing to his strength. He's a very technically savvy rider, you know. And so then he eventually comes off, um, but he's just so far ahead that it, you know, you're just not going to catch him. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, obviously unbound is, you know, that plays out over, uh, you know, 10 hours. So it's it's a little bit different. And, um, you know, some of these strategies aren't going to work for an event of that length because, if you've done too much anaerobic work early and you just totally deplete that battery, you know, you have a chance of bonking. And if you bonk, like if you actually bonk, um, then this doesn't work. Right. You know, if you're riding around at 10 <laughs> miles an hour yeah. out there. So sometimes the, yep. the best pacing strategy is like requires you to go to the razor's edge. And I actually, so I, I stumbled upon a good quote that I'll share with you guys on Twitter last night. And it's from um, Richard Moore, who I guess is, I don't know if anybody knows the name, but I think he's like a former world tour guy. And he said, the equation in my head in any time trial was, how far is it to go? How hard am I trying? Is it sustainable? And that changes depending on how far you have to go. If the answer is yes, it is sustainable, then you're trying, then you're not trying hard enough. The answer is no, I can't sustain it. Then it's too late. So the answer you're looking for is maybe. <laughs> so, I, you know, I think <laughs> that's pretty good. I think I, I kind of buy into that, you know, like that's, that's, mm-hmm. you know, finding that maybe place, you know, maybe, maybe is that razor's edge and that's, that's the fastest, you know, like you don't, you don't quite know. I mean, we know what too hard is and we know what not hard enough is, but. Yeah. So right. like Dylan, for you, like your pacing strategy was in your control as far as your finish time, but not in your control as far as your placing. Right. And that's, that's what ended up happening. Like you, you, sure. You were able to control the fact that you rode sub 10. Like that's incredible. Uh, unfortunately mm-hmm. there were 24 dudes who also rode sub 10 in front of you. And like, that was beyond your control. Like you couldn't, you couldn't control that. Um, now maybe, maybe 13 of those guys could have gotten a flat or something that would have pulled them out of that. Um, but you, you know, you just weren't, you weren't going to have as much control over where you finished placing wise in the race. Um, but I, I do think there is a lot of merit to the fact that early on, like you were saying, you know, you were for the, through the first time split, you were like 150th place, uh, which means like yeah, you were easily. not getting caught up as much in like the, you know, the, the, you know, the scrappiness that's going on in that front group where there's like dudes crashing and flatting like crazy, um, cause it seems like the first 75 miles at unbound is where the majority of the crashes and, and flats do take place. Once, once the groups kind of settle down and maybe speed settle down and you're, you know, you're in smaller groups, you can see, you know, there's better visibility. It seems like it, it kind of cools down a bit. Um, not temperature wise, but just like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the, the environment, um, so I, I do think there's merit to that, but unfortunately, like, like Andrew's saying, like that first 75 miles is where you have the most benefit to gain from being with that faster group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, yeah, you, it's, uh, yeah, I was, I, for sure that was, that was a consideration here because if you're going to flat, it's probably going to be when you're in the, the big pack in the first 50 miles. 
Um, Cause you just, you can't see the line that you're taking. And I was, I was easily probably between a hundredth place and 150th place going through the mile 25 checkpoint. Um, hmm. And I, I remember there were people, there were people around me being like, Hey Dylan, are you having a bad day? And there were people after the race being like, Hey Dylan, I saw you like back with me. Like, were you having a bad day? <laughs> and uh, they just weren't aware of what I was doing. Cause you know, cause they, they expect me to be up at the front group, but like my, the pacing strategy that I was running meant that I was going to be catching people nonstop throughout the day. And that totally is what happened. I mean, I was, I was constantly catching people throughout the day, um, which felt good, right? It feels good to feel like you're moving forward in the pack as opposed to moving backwards. Um, I just didn't catch as many people as I would have liked. So, so I want to, I want to uh, call this kind of. In, sorry, Drew. Let, let me let me say this really quick. So I, I want to call what you're talking about the the marathon approach. So like w- what you did sort of reminds me of, you know, if any of you guys have been to like a big marathon before, there will be people who are paid by or volunteered for the race to like run at a certain pace the whole time. So they'll run at like a seven minute mile pace. Mm-hmm. So like you find that guy, you know, and he's got like a shirt on that says seven minute mile group. Or, you know, he's got like a big sign that he runs around with, you know, and then those people can kind of just stick to that pace and they know that if they can mm-hmm. hang with that group, you know, it's, it's going to be, it's, right. it's it, like, they're going to, they're going to get there in their goal time. But it, I think that that pacing strategy works best and it did work for you. If your goal is to say, let's go under 10 hours, like, right. Mm-hmm. In that, in that respect, it did work, but yeah. You know, I should have um, had a I should have had a shirt on saying twenty mile per hour pace. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty That'd good. Be awesome. <laughs> but to the um, back to like what Dylan said about the he felt good passing people. I do think there is a strong psychological um, component to pacing because it doesn't feel good to watch the front group ride away from you. Um, like, I totally made that mistake. The one time I did Unbound, it was like, I'm going to try to stick with the front group for as long as possible. And I just, like, was totally obliterated in the last 100 miles. I didn't even finish because I, that was, I was just, like, that was outside my wheelhouse, right? So, mm-hmm. but I didn't want to watch that front group right away with all those other people that I know that I can race with because they're doing the same thing I'm doing. And we all end up just blowing up. And then there's only 10 dudes left, you know? Right. Um so there is like, a, you kind of have to like remove yourself from your own brain or whatever, because that's like a real thing. Like, like I don't, you have to, you, you had to say to yourself, I'm going to watch them right away, knowing mm-hmm. or believing that I'm going to pass a lot of them later on. And that's like risky. And that, that's exactly what happened. I mean, like you took a risk of this strategy and, uh, yeah, I mean, there's two sides to it. Like you were passing people all day, so you you kind of had that sustained psychological boost of like, okay, it's working. I'm passing people. I'm passing people. But mm-hmm. you know, it just wasn't enough, I guess. Well, and, and Drew, I think like with with the traditional strategy that most people take in, into Unbound is like, yeah, I'm going to stay with the lead group as long as possible. <clears throat> that also doesn't make sense either, right? Like, just listen to yourself there. Like you're like, I I, I stayed with them until I couldn't sustain that anymore. Like really, you should you should stay with them until it becomes uncomfortable. Like mm-hmm. as soon as it's uncomfortable, you pop off. 
Because um, if you stay until you like completely crack, like you've still got a hundred miles to go. Yeah. yeah. What are you going to do? That's what almost everyone does. I mean, right. that's why. So this year is is kind of an anomaly in that the time splits between riders were very close. I mean, I was 25th place and I was 35 minutes back from the winner. So 35 minutes separated 25 people, which is very close racing for a 10 hour race. Last year, the, the winners were a solid third, like the, the winning group of five was a solid 30 minutes ahead of the next group on the road that was sprinting for sixth place, Hmm. which is more typical at unbound. And I think it's it probably has has more to do with the heat, but um, you know, typically what people do is like they try to stay with the front group as long as they can, and then they blow sky high, and it's like whoever's with <clears throat> the front group, they'll make it to the finish, and you know, sprint it out or it'll be close. But yeah, there's actually a um, so so I'm drop some, some I'm not usually the one that does this, but I'm drop some science right here on y'all. So they actually did some research and I'm, I'm trying to like, I'm kind of stretching it to make it apply to cycling. But there was these researchers that did this study about, you know, our psychology when it comes to like uh, desire and scarcity. And so they'd put people in a room with a jar full of cookies and then they'd come in right before, right before the study and say, oh, whoops, we accidentally we accidentally gave you too many cookies. We actually have to like save some of these cookies for the, for the rest of the day, because we're going to have people in here all day doing the study on them. And so they'd go in and take out cookies out of this jar and they'd only leave like one or two cookies in the jar. Whereas a second ago it was full. And what they came to find was people that they did that situation with desired the cookie even more after they saw that there was, that they had been taken away from them. So this Mm -hmm. is kind of a stretch and it, probably doesn't apply to unbound, but I think about it a lot in my intervals. This like, uh, psychology of scarcity is when I'm doing like a short four, four minutes or five minutes or less kind of interval, maybe I do start a little bit harder than what I think maybe is sustainable, but then that ends up putting my average power at a little bit of a higher number. And then I'm going to focus on trying not to let that number drop. Whereas if I start out a little bit slower and say my number is a little bit lower, my psychology there, I'm not going to be trying to like make that grow. Um, you're much more likely to hold on to a high number than you are to hold on or to grow a number. You know what I mean? If that makes sense. So I've been thinking about that in my own and I was like, maybe I go a little bit harder the first minute and just try to hold on to those Watts as much as possible. Cause there's a stronger psychological component to that. Does that make sense? I would disagree. <laughs> I would. Uh, it doesn't so, work for Unbound because it's ten hours. No, no, no. Like, well, you can't well, do let's that for let's take hours. let's take Unbound out of the equation. Let's just say you're trying to do your best twenty minute power or something. Yeah. Um, like research has shown that either either an even pacing strategy or even negative splits is is the fastest way from point A to point B. If you're if that's your goal, so. You know, for example, if you're doing a time trial that's going to take you approximately 20 minutes, it would actually be better to go slightly slower in the first half, or at the very least, both halves are exactly the same. Um, you know what? I think I'm. I think I. There's a flaw in my thinking. I think it doesn't take into account like physiology. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you just don't have the fitness, if you just don't have the fitness to hold the higher number, 
I mean, you can have the strongest psychological approach in the world, but if you can't hold that number, you can't hold that number. Yeah. So you know what's you know what's super interesting is the you know the breaking two project where Elliot Kipchoge mm. ran sub two hours for the marathon. Um, I'm pretty sure that they had him do even pacing for that, where they had him run exactly an hour for the first uh, half marathon, and then and then he he actually ran obviously slightly under. Uh, under an hour for his second half marathon because he had to go under two, but just barely, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. essentially what he did was even pacing, and that's what they determined was the fastest way to complete a marathon. But um, here, And I guess what, – here, what are you going to say? Well, I was going to say, so like the factors that I think of with respect to that are with with running, right, like – I have some I read some good data on this recently in a study and and what they were showing was that like the best runners will run a marathon at let's say like 95% of their critical pace. So critical pace is is like mm-hmm. sort of the running equivalent of it's the running equivalent of critical power but the more familiar way to think about it would be like that's FTP. So they're they have to stay just below that to do the fastest possible time. But here's the mm-hmm. kicker and this is where it gets a little bit more complicated with cycling is that runners can't coast. And so, you know, if I do an effort, let's say undulating terrain, you know, like almost all races are, if I do, if I go above my threshold, up the climb, and then I'm able to coast on the downhill and get all that free speed, then like the the way that we pace these things is, is just going to be different by virtue of that. Right. And like the science that kind of applies to this and the way that I think about a TT always and i think this this works really well i think about cycle cross this way i think about mountain bike racing this way is that i'm going to go the hardest whenever i'm going the slowest because i'm taking advantage mm-hmm. of periods where there's um less wind resistance so we know that there's an exponential relationship between wind resistance and power output right so at at 30 miles an hour to go one mile an hour faster you have to do like let's say 20 percent more power so it's not worth it but if you're only right. going five miles an hour you do an extra 100 watts you're going to go way faster in terms of percentages so it's yep. that's that's sort of where it gets a little bit complicated and it's the same with you know the wind you know if it's like if you have a tailwind you're going 30 miles an hour already you know doing a lot more watts isn't isn't going to make you go that much faster but if it's a headwind you know you have to all right this is like a i'm gonna throw a cork corkscrew into this but like but you're you're in a TT. What matters is your speed, right? Because the faster the average speed, the quicker to the finish line. But you're, and your gains, your gains on an uphill, you can't go ten miles per hour faster on a climb. But on a downhill, if you pedal even just a little bit, you could increase your average speed on that downhill by ten miles per hour, no problem. Well, so it's, it's a balance that, though, because it's if you're going. So if we think about like real world numbers, right? Like you're doing a roller at let's say five percent. You know, at 200 watts, you're probably going to go seven miles an hour. At 400 watts, mm-hmm. you're going to go probably 15 miles an hour, so double the speed, right? And and like we're just going to assume that these numbers that I'm providing are real, right? And then you get onto that downhill of the same profile. If you pedal at 200 watts, you're going to go 25, 28 miles an hour. If you do 400 watts, you're going to go 32 miles an hour, because once you kind of get over that 30 mile an hour barrier the wind resistance increases so exponentially that it's, you know, it's, 
it's a ratio, right? So like you want to take the 15 miles an hour and the 28 miles an hour versus the five miles an hour and 35 miles an hour. Yeah. So yeah. when and some of the mathematics behind it, some of the mathematics is like you, you spend more time on the climbs because you're going slower. Like if it's, if you right. have a one mile climb and a one mile descent, you're going to spend much more time climbing. So by increasing your, your speed for that longer duration, you're going to have more of an mm-hmm. effect uh, on your overall average speed than you will by increasing your speed on the descent by that same amount. Because it's shorter. Yeah, right. yeah. Right. I was and, thinking and, of that too. And w- wind resistance is exponential as, as your speed increases. Right. So they've actually done research. Like, So, for example, if you have a time trial that's on not on flat ground, it's on undulating terrain, uh, a question would be, do you hold the exact same power the whole time, whether you're on an uphill or a downhill? Is that the fastest way to the finish? And, the, and they've, they've done research on this. And the answer is no. You would actually want to do slightly more power on the uphill and slightly less power on the downhill, which is actually what I was doing at Unbound. So, for example, my I, I, if I had power targets in my head in the first half, I was thinking, let me try to do 320 on a climb, 300 if it's flat, and 280 if it's a downhill, which is a lot steadier than what the group is doing, which is like 450 up a climb, 200 on downhill you should change the way you do your endurance rides then because i did an endurance ride with dylan this spring and it was six hours at 220 uphill yeah, downhill flat 220 but different yeah, goal but we're not all trying day. to go fast <laughs> i know but like at least your body gets a little more used to that like no 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 it's you okay get used to go it's okay to go a little harder on the climb no, no no you get It'll used to okay. it when you're doing intervals that's when you get used to it you don't get used to it on the endurance ride didn't you hey. listen to Siler? <laughs> hey, oh yeah, I was going to make a point about that. If you guys watched Dylan's last video, ref, what you let's see here, Siler. If you watch the video, what was in Siler's background? Books. Books. Who's 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 the only one on the podcast that has books in the background? In the I mean, background. we own books, Drew. <laughs> like we're just not in front of them. <laughs> I don't believe it. You just but you don't put them in the background. You're obviously smarter if they're in the background. Oh yeah, right. for sure. Just well, saying. Getting, getting, you guys are two peas in a pod. But let me let me bring yep. up an analogy that a director told me once and I thought this was this was like a really kind of fun analogy that I, that applies to this really really well. So um, it's like a little bit of a thought experiment. So you have two twin brothers and they have like the same jalopy car, right? Like they both, they both drive mm-hmm. these like old trucks and they have the same job, like, you know, and they have, let's say one hour to get to work. It's a, it's a 30 mile drive. Right. Um, and there's two different ways that they can go. They can take a route that goes downhill or I'm sorry, uphill for whatever, 15 miles and then downhill for 15 miles or they can go the flat route which is just the same distance in in completely flat um so you know they both head out at the same time they kiss their wives goodbye and you know on the flat road the dude you know in truck a can drive 30 miles an hour right so he he heads out on a flat road he's going 30 miles an hour and then the other brother's like i'm gonna beat my brother to work because i'm gonna i'm gonna you know, make up the time on the downhill. And so on the uphill, he can only go 15 miles an hour in his jalopy. 
And the question is, how fast does he have to go on the downhill to beat his oh, brother to is, work? This is and like back to like high school. The, I don't know what class we figured the, these kind of problems out in, but 60. Probably. No, the, the answer is, isn't it? He can't. He, no, because he can't beat him there because he's already so far oh, behind. He, his brother's already there. Yeah, because because if right, if he can so drive he'll, miles he'll an only hour, get it. And it's a it's a he'll only get half drive by the time his brother gets there. Yeah. You're so right. so yeah so there's he cannot go fast one. enough on the downhill to to make it up. So he would have to go like, you know, the same speed on the uphill as his brother. I mean, there is a number that he'd have to go on the uphill, but his jalopy can't do it. And I think the practical mm-hmm. takeaway here is like. You never make up the time that you lost going uphill or in a headwind compared to if it's a flat ride. So, like, if you go out and you do, Mm -hmm. like, a completely flat ride, you know, at 200 watts, you almost, like, can't ride hard enough uphill to, like, make up that time difference. Yeah. Right. But. So, you're basically confirming what I was saying about how you have to ride harder on the uphills than you do the downhills if you're trying to. It's an undulating course. Right. But I think the thing that you brought up and you did, and I think it's correct, and this is important, I think, for all of our listeners to hear, is the the terrain and your ability, maybe even your phenotype, is going to dictate how dramatic the swings are. So if we want to talk about, like, practical takeaways from our listeners in a way that you can tailor your pacing strategy to be most successful, um, I might do, you know, like, in that scenario, maybe my differences would be more dramatic, right? So you did 320 uphill, 300 flat, 280 downhill. Maybe mm-hmm. I would do like 350, 290, 250, you know, to kind of play to my um, strengths. But I think the better way or the more general way to kind of talk about this for our listeners is when the hills are like pretty mild, those the pacing is actually going to be pretty different and your speed is going to stay kind of somewhere in the middle. But if it's really dramatic, like if it's super steep up, super steep down, then then maybe you are doing like 400, 100. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I mean, the the hills at Unbound are undulating. There's nothing crazy steep. Um, and you can pedal, you can pedal the downhills. You know, you don't have to coast any downhill, maybe with the exception of a few. Um so 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 dylan let's talk about so how did you settle on those numbers like give us some some relative numbers so that people have an idea like you know was was 320 is that your ftp or is that is your you know is it 75 percent of your ftp like how'd you come up with those well i was actually planning to stay below my ftp uh for at least the first half i didn't want to i didn't even want to touch my ftp Okay, so what, um, what was your what's your um, like sea level FTP then? Uh, right. like three seventy. So okay, really, like three sixty. <laughs> so like three. So really, three sixty. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Dude, this Dylan, is this is Dylan, not back. This is not backwards. Had Dylan talking. This is this Dylan is just, doesn't watch his. Dylan doesn't watch his own videos. Obviously, yeah. Yeah. No, if yeah, I was backwards, had Dylan, then my actual FTP after I just said three seventy would probably be like three ten. But 
<laughs> well, it, you know, it's funny. I think I just devised a brand new um, FTP determination method that's maybe more scientific than anything we've discussed so far. So you ask an athlete, what's your FTP? And then you subtract 20 watts, and that's your FTP. Mm. That probably worked for yeah, a lot of people. That's what I was I, referencing. That's what I, Dylan says. That's what Dylan said in his video. I need yeah. to make. Uh, I need to literally make shirts that have that equation. <laughs> that would be good. And sell them. Um, I forgot what we were even talking about. How did you <laughs> come up with those numbers? So, so your FTP is three seventy. How did you come up with your numbers? Like your target numbers? Yeah, I mean, I was kind of basing it off of of uh, what I've sustained at Unbound in years past, and putting like uh, bumping that up a little bit to try to be a little optimistic about what I could potentially hold. Um, so that's sort of where I came up with those numbers. Uh, I'm going to make it a little more practical and, and harder to answer. Um, is there a way for people to go back into their training peaks or their rides and, and determine a good pacing strategy for a 10 hour ride uh, or a race like unbound? Like, is there a general kind of rule of thumb? So if you are basing it off of intensity factor, um, the fitter you are, the higher IF you'll have for unbound, like the higher percentage of your FTP you'll be able to sustain for the length of unbound. And the mm -hmm. less fit you are, the lower your IF is going to be at the end of unbound. But what I generally find is that maybe the top of the range is around a 75% or a 0.75. And then the lower end of the range probably is, is like 0.6 or it can, it can go below that too, obviously. But so you're so, not even trying to spend time in your tempo zone. I mean, you're trying to stay even below tempo. Well, if you're climbing, majority, if, if yeah, you're climbing, right. you should definitely be in tempo zone. Yeah, so, but if you're looking so those at the numbers, average, Dylan, so yeah, so you're climbing numbers at 320. That was 86% of your threshold, mm -hmm. um, you know, point, 0.86 IF, uh, which is right in the middle, which is right in the middle of tempo. Yeah. 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 Yep. Um, your even terrain, you know, kind of flat terrain, uh, power of 300, uh, that was 81% or, you know, mm. 0.81 IF. And then you're descending at 280. That was 0.76. So you were kind of oscillating, yeah. you know, low end to like mid end of tempo. Um, I'm guessing, you you said that was your first the first your your goals for the first half. So I don't know if you maybe rearranged your goals for the second half. I I was not able to sustain that in the second half. I okay. I can I can go tell you what my IF was for the whole race right now if I if I Yeah, because back. Dylan, you've done workouts where you basically just see how much tempo you can do, right? And you can, and you've I, done you know, what 5 6 hours of tempo in one ride. Basically. Yeah. Yeah, I have. So you um, so you setting that number for the first half of unbound makes sense if you're not considering the second half though right <laughs> all right so you guys ready for some numbers so my yeah. i uh, my if from unbound was 0.74 um so i wouldn't nice. i wouldn't be surprised if like the top five was able to do 0.8 so I, I have keegan's numbers in front of in front of me that i can talk oh about you after do we're done with yours yeah well there you go well okay so then some other quick numbers i spent I spent two hours and 20 minutes in zone one recovery. I spent two hours and 45 minutes in endurance zone. I spent three hours and 36 minutes in tempo zone. 
I spent an hour and three minutes at threshold, uh, nine minutes at VO2 max, and two minutes at anaerobic. Wow. So well, that's pretty good. I mean, so like, of yeah, t- yeah if you, if 10 hours about, of 10 hours, only many, 11 minutes were above your threshold range. Right. Yeah, which, awesome. was, which was kind of my goal. And if you if you go and look at people who have the typical pacing strategy where they try to stay with the front group, I guarantee you their time over threshold is a lot higher than that. Hmm. For sure. Yeah. So let me yeah, let me bring up sure. two things here really quick that I think dovetail with this really nicely. So the first is going back to the study that I read on marathoners. And they they showed that people with they put people in the categories of like, you know, average duration. So, you know, you have like kind of the two hour to two hour 15 group, you know, and all those guys are riding at or running at like 95 to 98% of their critical pace. And then you go to the, like, let's say 215 to 245 group and the 245 to, you know, three hour group and the critical pace becomes a smaller percentage. So what I'm trying to get to here is that the, the numbers that Dylan was able to sustain are a function of two things. First, his fitness, so that's a consideration for all of our listeners, is where's your fitness at? I know personally, based on my phenotype and my fitness level, that I would have to shoot for a slightly lower goal. The second thing is, the slower you're going to go, the longer your event is. And so that's what the researchers conjectured, is that it's, it's sort of a double whammy, or at least they were sort of going back and forth on that. You know, in the case of a guy who runs a 215 marathon that's still very, very fast and very respectable. That person is is probably as fit as they can be. So some of that is is just, you know, a natural limitation, maybe based on fiber type. But it's also that they're yeah. going to be out there longer, so they have to adjust their pacing strategy. So for our listeners who are maybe planning on doing unbound or a similarly long race, your pacing strategy might be different if you're going to do it in 14 hours. Like if you and Dylan were both going to do a 14-hour race, and it wasn't about distance, it was just about time, is I guess another way to kind of set it up. You know, like a, pace, a, a 12-hour a 20, mountain bike race. Yeah. Yeah, yep. exactly. So, yeah, in those cases, um, you know, maybe you would have the same IF, um, you know, if you're equally fit. But if it's, um, you know, in, in this case where the, the times are different, then you have to adjust for what your goal time is. Um, and I think the second mm-hmm. thing I want to bring up, and this brings some science into this, this is sort of like the physiological side of, of pacing, is that there's a different metabolic cost for different paces, right? So, you know, kind of thinking about, you know, that is, is going to be super, super important. And that's what Dylan's talking about with his, you know, like power distribution. So, you know, if we stay below LT1, so if Dylan stays, let's say, under 75%, let's assume that that's where it's at. Maybe for him it's a bit higher, which is why he's able to sustain that pace. You know, we're, we're working off of much more fat than we are carbohydrates. And so the metabolic cost of that is, is like way more efficient. You know, he's using maybe less oxygen to make those same watts or at least like less substrate. Um, or a more efficient substrate, you know, whereas as you kind of go up in the intensity, you become like significantly less efficient and you're running down, you know, a much smaller battery. So I think that that ultimately mm-hmm. is, is going to be, I think what dictates, you know, a lot of your, your pacing is, is, 
you know, like if I think about a crit, um, you know, that's an event where you're somewhat glycogen limited, right? If it's, let's say two hours or even 90 minutes. Um, and something that I'm thinking about in a crit is functional reserve capacity, right? Which is like the amount of Watts you can do like in total kilojoules over your threshold. If you run that down to zero, like you're kind of done, <laughs> you know, cause then at that point you can only ride at your threshold. You can't go back above it at least until you like reconstitute, you know, you know, that, that FRC. So that's, I think just another thing for people to consider, um, you know, like if, if you're doing a time trial, that's 30 miles long to go back to our old example. And there's a big old hill in the beginning, you know, you know, you, you shouldn't just go as hard as you can up that thing, because at a certain point you've pushed yourself so far that you're going to go too slow in the second part. So it, it is always a balance. To piggyback off of Andrew's train of thought there. Um, I feel like, so this is a good example of this. Me and Dylan have just about the same FCP. Um, mine's 371. <clears throat> um, <laughs> but we weigh the same amount and everything. But this is, you know, we've talked about this in a previous video or podcast. But um, these metrics that we go off of, he's talking about his intensity factor. If me and him have the same FTP, theoretically, I should be able to just do exactly what he did and finish exactly with him. But I know Dylan would crush me at Unbound because even though our FTP is the same, that's based off of a one hour number. That's an unbound is 10 hours. So like that's gotta, I don't know. That's just like another unraveling of like these, these metrics that we hold on to so tight, like using IF may not even be a good strategy for pacing. If you don't have the long aerobic endurance to be able to do that. Like me, there's no way I could do a 0.74 for 10 hours. So I I think if you were to do a study, like a classic study where they're like running linear regressions and determining, you know, what variables correspond to finish time the best for a race like uh, Unbound, I think one of the things that would have like a very high R squared would be power at, at LT1, right? So like if that's kind of like the intensity at which people are riding this, um, you know, Dylan's LT1 is, let's say, 80%. Let's say yours is 75%. Therefore, although you have the same anaerobic threshold, he's mm-hmm. able to ride at a higher intensity for the same cost as you. And so yeah. that's, you know, we've talked about this a lot in earlier podcasts, but it, it is really important to figure out that number. Um, and there is a lot of debate in the scientific community as to whether or not these things move together or independently. But it seems like the evidence lies on the side of that they can be a bit independent. I mean, they're somewhat linked. Like in other words, if your anaerobic threshold goes up, so does your aerobic threshold. But um, there's mm-hmm. there's some variation there. And so maybe that is is how you would determine your pacing. And that's if I was gonna advise somebody on how to pace unbound, I would tell them that their average power or their normalized power for the whole event should be at whatever they think their their aerobic threshold is in terms of percent of anaerobic threshold. And that's LT1. Yeah. Is there a practical way for me to find out my LT1? Or yeah. is it lab studies? No. I forget. I know we've talked about this, but I forget how we... The most practical way to determine this is using the talk test. 
So, you know, if you're riding along... That's too practical. <laughs> it's not too practical. It actually, it, it's backed by science. I mean, it makes a lot of sense, right? So, like... Okay. You know, if glycolysis is ramping up, um, your breathing is going to change because you have to both take in more oxygen and you have to start to expel CO2, which is a byproduct of glycolysis. And so, you know, when your breathing changes, you know you've kind of gone over that edge. Um, but to go back to the, you know idea of, um, you know, an undulating course or a course that has differing winds, you can't just use the talk test the whole time. Like you have to have that number in advance and then look at it in terms of averages, because as Dylan has already indicated, when it's an uphill or it's windy or you're solo chasing back on, you're going to have to go above that pace. Um, and then there's going to be other times where you probably want to go a little bit below that pace you know, and then it kind of averages out somewhere in the middle. And that's, to Dylan's earlier point again, that's where racing and training differ. So in training, if we're doing an endurance ride, we are doing an even pace in terms of our power output to optimize the adaptations we're looking for. But we're doing an uneven pacing strategy in terms of our speed. Whereas with racing, it's like flipped. Like he's already done the work and then he's, Mm -hmm. you know, unbound was not... Um, an exercise in training. It was an exercise in racing. <laughs> so it's right. like when we talk about like yeah. an even pacing strategy, a negative split, like all these different pacing strategies, you have to be clear about whether or not you're talking about your power or your pace because they're different. Right. And so running, my, they're my the same. Speed, <laughs> yeah. My speed was an even pacing strategy, but my power was actually positive split. I want to hear. I want to hear Keegan's numbers real quick, and then we can wrap it up. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so this was just from his head unit that he displayed, and I uh, wrote them down. So his his so so Keegan. For those who don't know, he he was in the final group of five that took it to the line for finish line sprint. Um, he finished second, second overall yeah. by a, by like you know half a bike length or something. Um, so his total time uh, was nine hours twenty one minutes and eighteen seconds. His normalized power was 304 watts. His average power was 272 watts. Max power was 1163, presumably in that sprint, um, which is impressive after nine hours. That's super Um, impressive. Average cadence, 80 RPMs. Max cadence, 142, pretty high. Uh, Average speed, 21.3 miles an hour. There you go, Dylan. That's your goal for next year. Uh, (laughs) Max speed was 38.6, so not super fast. Um, 599 TSS overall IF 0.80, which is exactly what you said. Um, mm, yeah. So that puts his threshold at 380 on the number. Um, check this out: 9174 KJs. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, so so Keegan's. Th- this is what I was saying. Like Keegan's fitter than I am. You know, he's able to hold, first of all, his threshold's higher than mine. It's 10 watts higher than mine, and he weighs less. But also, he's able to hold 80% of it for 10 hours, as opposed to me, who's able to hold, like, 75% of it for 10 hours. Yep. Wow. 304 watts normalized at his, whatever he weighs, like 145 pounds or something, for 9 Nine hours and twenty minutes. Yeah, I think he's sixty-seven kilos. Is what what I calculated. That from, is, yeah, that is bonkers. 
So, yeah, another thing, too, with this that we haven't touched on too much yet is it's sometimes not a function of fitness. I could be as fit as Keegan is, like, in terms of CTL or whatever metric. Like, we do the same training. But at a certain point, it's about fiber type. Like, the only people who can do these crazy high percentages for that long, like, if we talk about Elia Kipchoge or, you know, some of these guys, um, they have a higher distribution of slow twitch fibers than I do. So their oxidative capacity is just higher. Their aerobic threshold higher. And um, you can change that over time. But Adam, did so, it say his average heart rate? <laughs> no, he didn't put his heart rate on there. Maybe he doesn't use heart rate in racing. No. I don't know. Um, I don't know. Some people don't. I want to know that, man. <laughs> um, so I'm going to say one more thing to that, Andrew. And... Drew will probably be, be on board with this, but I would say the the other component I think is uh, mentality. So Amen. some some people can just do 0.8 IF all day and and grind through it, even if someone else has the exact same physiology, but their their mental state is a little bit weaker. They can only do 0.74. So sorry, Dylan. It's true. Work on that. I'm with it. Um, yeah, but that's is, a huge component, and, and I think, yeah, a- anyone who 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 has done Unbound, uh, I have not, but any, everyone that I've heard from who has says that at some point, like it just becomes a, a you know a race of you know grit and mentality um, because everyone's going to hit everyone's going to hit a, a low point, everyone's going to hit a point in the race where they just don't want to push any harder, but it's the people who have like the you know strong mentality who are able to you know or Keegan like. You know, he he pushes through a, a a hard effort, 160 miles in the race to to get in that final selection of seven guys that are off the front. Um, yeah. You know, so in in obviously like he he had 1163 watts in the final sprint. Like he still had some some juice in the tank too. So um, if the pace was even harder, who knows? He might have been able to do 0.82 IF if he needed to. Um, mm-hmm. like there were still some in, in the reserves there, but, but men- mentality is a, a huge component here. And maybe that's a topic for another episode. If he did 11, I'm wondering what Ivar did. Cause Ivar is a bigger guy. Ivar came from the back of the group too. Mm-hmm. Keegan, Keegan sprinted from second wheel. Ivar sprinted from fourth wheel. Uh, dude, I wouldn't be surprised if it's like 13 or 1400. Yeah, he, I don't. I don't think he put out his power. I was reading a Velo News article about the power that some of the writers did, and they didn't say anything about Ivar's power. So, hmm. well, maybe we can reach out and maybe he'll share, come on the show, and tell us about it. Yeah, Man, this guys. pacing. This pacing topic was way way more fun than I thought it was. There was a lot, <laughs> there was a lot to talk about. I still like feel like we we didn't even talk about cyclocross. I could have talked. Yeah, about Yeah, I mean, and that's what I was going to say. Is, you about. know, like there, there's a, a whole lot more of this pacing. So if anyone out there is listening and uh, you know you, you want some more discussion on pacing specifically for one of your disciplines, so you know road, crits, gravel, cyclocross, mountain bike, whatever it is, um, let us know. We can we can always talk on you know more specifics too. But uh, yeah, I agree. This was fun. Uh, super relevant coming off of Unbound. Um, yeah, hopefully some good takeaways, but let's yeah. wrap it up there. Yeah. Dylan next year, just be better. Just hold 21 point, whatever it was. I'll just, yep. that's, that's the new goal. That's the goal. Yep. Yep. <laughs> All right. See you guys. All right, folks. Thanks for tuning in for the latest episode of the matchbox podcast. 
Like I said at the beginning, you can send any questions or topic suggestions to info at ignitioncoachco.com with email titled The Matchbox Podcast. Links to each of our social media pages can be found in the show notes. Tune in next week for another endurance training-related discussion and learn about how you can find that extra match for your next big event. Catch y'all soon. Let's go! Let's go!